the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Just text my good buddy, CFP Chad Burton. He's going to call in any minute now, and we're going to talk about tax efficiency in retirement. Let's bring him on right here, right now. CFP Chad Burton, tax efficiency in retirement. Oh, boy. Good topics, right? Roth IRAs, maxing out the 401k. Did you know the year's almost halfway over? How are you, Miss Burton? Isn't that crazy? I'm doing well. It's but yeah, crazy. It's shocking. It's, just, it's going fast. It's going fast. The years seem to go a little bit faster. And for me, it's all about maxing out the 401k as soon as you can. Uh, but that's not necessarily the right plan or the right approach. Um, we got a big event coming up just right around the corner in Los Gatos. People can learn more by going to newfocusfinancial.com. Um, what do we need to know right here, right now, about the 401k? Uh, maxing out the 401k, good idea, bad idea? And, again, halfway through the year almost. In most cases, yeah. I mean, when you max out the 401k, the question is, is how much do I put into the pre-tax amount and get a current tax break versus how much do I put into the Roth 401k, which you don't get a current tax break, but it'll grow tax-free for the rest of your life. So having that two pools of money is really important, and knowing where you all are on your tax bracket, working with your advisor, your CPA, to say, okay, maybe the right number for you is... You know, if you're putting in nineteen thousand dollars, maybe it's ten grand pre-tax and nine grand Roth to get you underneath a certain tax bracket. But okay. it might not be the best bet, right? I mean, if you're trying to max out your four hundred one k, but what if you're trying to buy real estate at some point in your life? You need a little bit more liquidity. So in some right. cases, you might say, "I'm going to put you know the uh, you know." 13 grand into my 401k pre-tax and put 6 grand into my Roth IRA. And the Roth IRA will grow tax-free if you're eligible to to contribute to one. And if you're trying to eventually buy your first home, you can always take your contributions out tax-free up to a certain amount. It creates a little that bit scares of liquidity. Me. That scares me. Wait, wait, wait. Stop there, right there. Taking money out of your 401k to buy a house. It yep. creeps me out when Not you say that. Because I've seen people 401k. do... Okay. I've seen people do that wrong. Oh, yeah. It's going to happen so wrong, reset. more wrong than right. Okay. So you've, you've got to make sure that, you know, you, here's the deal. People are trying to save money for a home, right? They're trying to create an investment account that they know that five, ten years from now, I'm going to buy a house. Okay. And so in this case, it just creates a little bit more liquidity or somebody that is trying to eventually get into rental properties in the future. They might not want to max out their 401k. It said they, they might put you know 15 grand of their 401k, the rest into a regular taxable account, invest in index funds so that five, 10 years down the road, you can use some of those source, source some of those funds to buy your first rental property where you're putting 20, 30% down, getting a traditional you know loan and having positive cash flow. 
So it might not always be the best bet, is all I'm saying. You got to look out and say, what, where am I trying to build wealth? And I like stocks, I like real estate. Eventually, close to retirement, you like bonds. You got to have all those asset classes. Um, and if you get to retirement where you have a pre-tax 401k, a tax-free Roth IRA, and some real estate income, you're going to be pretty happy. Well, that sounds like good news. Because <laughs> that's <laughs> what you just threw at me is very, very tax-efficient investing feels difficult to me, especially since I have biases where I'm like, I don't really want a lot of bonds because I've seen how bonds have performed in my lifetime. And again, not in my dad's lifetime, not in my grandfather's lifetime. Um, is it is tax efficient investing difficult in your opinion? No, it's just something that a lot of people don't pay attention to, um, and you don't really okay. need to if all you're doing is is looking at your four hundred one k. Because in your four hundred one k, everything is tax deferred. It doesn't matter. And I would say most Americans can't afford to put nineteen grand into their four hundred one k now, or twenty five grand if you're going to be fifty or older by the end of the year. That's a lot of money to save. So if that's where all your savings going, it, it doesn't matter. But if you're trying to invest beyond your 401k, that's where it makes a difference. Because in a taxable account, if you're investing in mutual funds in a taxable account that have high turnover, you're going to lose a good portion of your annual return to taxes, even though you're not selling the fund. So it's very important if you're going to invest outside your 401k to look at ETFs, and start adding and contributing and purchasing low-cost, tax-efficient ETFs, whether it's S&P 500 or some sort of a dividend, U.S. large-cap dividend achiever fund. Um, those are the funds that don't have a lot of turnover. But if you buy a fund like a small-cap fund or an emerging market fund in a taxable account just because it has a great return, last year you would have owed taxes on that fund even though you didn't sell it. You see what I mean? It's like all of a sudden I've got this tax bill and I didn't sell anything. That's where it starts to come into play is those that are investing outside of their 401k. I like your, your phrase, investing beyond a 401k. You may want to, you may want to patent that because that could be a podcast right there. Um, tax efficiency in retirement. Um, let's talk about the keeping it efficient because when I'm in retirement chat, I may go fishing. I'm not really thinking about efficiencies. I'm thinking about fish. Is tax efficiency <laughs> in retirement more complex? I want it easier because I'm old. I'm gray. It's, I deserve it's a little way respect, more my buddy. Complex. It's uh, there's there's two things that really you know kind of are, are are a tough wake up call when you get into retirement. Um, the first one is when you're trying to figure out what to do with your health care because you're trying to figure out the rules of Medicare. You're trying to figure out how much you're going to pay for Medicare based on your taxable situation. You're trying to figure out how your Social Security is going to be taxed. You're trying to figure out where you're going to get your supplemental health care insurance. It's, it's a lot of work. And then when you get to retirement, you realize how crazy the tax code is because you could sell, uh, you could go into retirement with just barely enough money, Rob, to go into retirement. Maybe a health issue is causing you to, to go into retirement, something like that. But sure. right when you go into retirement, you sell a bunch of your Apple stock that you appreciated Apple stock, and your your income looks really high. So the IRS might say, "Oh, okay. Well, we're going to tell that to Medicare, and Medicare is going to charge you four times as much as your neighbor for the same Medicare Part B." Mm-hmm. Um, and then people don't realize that up to 85% of their Social Security can be taxed as ordinary income. But at the same time, people don't realize you could have, you're married filing jointly up to like 78 grand of capital gains and not pay any taxes. So it's you got to figure out how to blend your income in retirement or alternate your income between your IRA income and, and capital gains 
and you can keep your taxes lower for longer. So you're not worried about what you're paying this year. You're worried about what you're paying over 35-plus years of retirement and taking advantage of things like Roth conversions, building up a tax-free account, and realizing that maybe one year you shut up your IRA income so you can sell a lot of stock that you own too much of and keep your capital gains taxes low. So it's definitely more complex, convoluted, when you're retired now under this new tax law, but there's also a lot of great benefits. You just have to take some time to learn. I want to give you a hallelujah there because I'm a little freaked out about retiring. I'm a little bit freaked out about that whole process. Um, let's talk about the event that's coming up because we've got less than a minute right now. There's a big event coming up right around the corner, middle of May, a couple Thursdays from now. What do we need to know about that? Well, I think the issue is that a lot of times we'll, we'll teach the retirement income one, which is how to create the, the right type of income from your portfolio, how to have so much cash, stocks, bonds, when to take gains out of the market to, to replenish your cash. But this one is a little bit more detailed. And it, you have to I show you how you design your income plan and your tax plan and how that kind of morphs into how you take money out in retirement. That's it. Got to cut you off. People could find out more about the event at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. It's in Los Gatos. It's right around the corner. A lot of great downloadables at newfocusfinancial.com. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Big event coming up at the Toll House Hotel. Think Cookie. It's in Los Gatos, California, May 16th, 630 to 830. I think everyone from the crew gets there a little bit early and stays a little bit late, so don't be shy. They've got lovely appetizers at the bar there, easy parking, wonderful city if you've never been to Los Gatos, great downtown, lots of good restaurants. So do show up. You can find out more information at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. You'll see the events page. When you sign up, use code RADIO25. If you've never been to an event, you can get in for free. Chad, I grew up with a dad who was in the military. Colonel C.H. Black is what I thought of as my dad. He didn't have a 401k. He had a pension. So I, I, I knew nothing about 401ks until I turned 18, 19 years old. Maybe might have been the first time I smelt it, but not even then, I don't think. Um, let's talk about investing in a 401k, and let's talk about investing beyond a 401k. Is that realistic? Because most of my friends, they're like, oh, I put in 6000 I'm done for the year. It's like I have no more money to spend. Uh, let's talk about 401ks and investing beyond. What do we need to know? Well, it's it's tough to get beyond a 401k these days. When I when I first got into the business, the most you could put into a 401k, I think back you know 24 plus years ago, was 10 percent of pay, and in some cases that would max out at 10 grand. Uh, so now you can put 100 percent of pay up to 19,000, or if you're going to be 50 or older by the end of the year, you should target 25,000. And then there's some 401k plans, a lot of them out there, like I keep saying, Apple, Cisco, Microsoft that you can go even beyond that. You can add after-tax contributions. So as long as your company match plus your pre-tax contributions or Roth contributions plus your after-tax contributions don't exceed the federal limits, which is what I think from 54000 um, you can put the after-tax dollars into the 401k and then have that automatically converted to the Roth, where people are putting in 19 grand pre-tax plus another you know, 10, 15, 20 grand in some cases 
post-tax that's going into the Roth. So you can get a lot more into the 401k than you maybe think, especially people that are self-employed and they've been funding a SEP IRA. That's, that's, that's the weak approach. <laughs> you can do so much more with an, than a SEP if you use an individual 401k or even a defined benefit plan. So it's tough to go beyond the 401k anymore, Rob. It's kind of like the expanded retirement tool for everybody. I'm going to go off script here with you and ask a question. You just brought up Apple, Cisco, uh, Facebook. Those employees, they tend to make more money. Are they able to save more because they make more? And maybe in retirement, they're going to need more to fund their lifestyle that they've been supporting while working on a high income basis in an expensive area. I don't know if that made sense, but I think you'll run with it and say something smart. Well, I don't know if they make more that they save more. They're definitely going to need more because I see that all too often, especially where I see it where if you get somebody that did a ton of schooling and they have a ton of student loans and then all of a sudden you know, they, they get to a point where they're making an income and they're finally trying to enjoy the income that they finally made, especially like right. you know, doctors or attorneys or whatever. And then I see this spending problem. Like, because there's this sense of, I've worked so hard, I finally need to enjoy life. And sometimes the savings and the idea of how much you have to save to support that lifestyle gets set aside. Um, and, you know, people are putting more money into their cars and their lattes than they are into their 401k. Um, so it's tough, Rob. I mean, there's just, there's still no schooling for it. I mean, our kids come out of high school, going into college, and there's no adulting classes. Like, this is how much you have to save. This is what a mortgage is. This is how much you have to put down to be able to buy a house. None of that's going on right now. That's pretty intimidating stuff, and uh, I don't know if I want a high school teacher teaching that, to be fair with you. I had a high school teacher named Wild Bill Campbell who played harmonica with uh, Bruce Springsteen. Don't know if I want him teaching finance, but then again, you're right. It, that's the perfect place to start it, right? Yeah, we let the, this, this CFP group create kind of like a structured adulting class for high school kids so they can actually get on the right track. I mean, you've talked about it before, you know, just how, you, how do you build credit even while you're in college? Well, a prepaid card. Um, different tips like as you come out of college, realizing that, okay, my first step is to, I still need to get some 401k match, but after that I should get rid of all my other debt. And then focus on make sure that I'm saving 10 to 15% of pay minimum plus my employer match um, so that someday I can retire because Social Security is probably not going to be there for a lot of our younger people today. And if it's going to break, you and I will replace it by higher taxes. Right. And we could assume that, I think, is the right assumption. In the break, you and I were talking about the concept of uh, uh, financial people out there who have no concept of, you know, the depth and the width of what you can actually do with a 401k. So it's important to learn this stuff. And you're, you're teaching me a good, you're giving me a good schooling and adulting. You know, the only adulting class I ever took was Lamaze. And I'll tell you this, that was not fun. Let me say this. Cause class that I've done with four kids and one of them was really ridiculous where they're like, okay, hold this ice cube in your hand as long as you can to see how pain can accelerate. And I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? This is nothing like childbirth. I'm like, I, was, I thought all these moms were going to get mad that this person was comparing holding an ice cube in your hand to labor pains. There's a comedian called Jim Jeffries, and he's got a Netflix special right now that I watched the other night. I was laughing pretty loud because he talked about, you know, uh, birthing classes. 
and adulting classes. And he said there was one video that he had to watch called Don't Shake the Baby. And he said it was 40 minutes long. And he's like, I think the title said it all. But can I shake my wife while she's holding the baby? Pretty funny guy. He is. He's actually got a hilarious one where he talks about the income inequality for men and women. He's like, absolutely, men need to make more than women. And he's you know, he's totally joking about it. But he's like, sure. we have to buy the drinks and we have to take them out to dinner and we have to we have to make more money to be able to get the women to marry. So it's 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 a bad way to look at it for sure. But he is a pretty funny guy. I do like him, and it's the Australian accent that sells it. With that said, I love that you have a sense of humor and you're a CFP. I love the accreditation. Let's go to the next topic, or let's stay on the topic. Is a 401k bad for those who want to retire early? Because you can't really tap it until what age is it now, 62? No, well, it's, in most cases, you're looking at 59 and a half. But if, you're, if you half. are working for a company and you separate from service, you retire over the age of 55, a lot of plans allow you to take distributions directly from the 401k without paying that 10% penalty. So there's really more of a 55 number for a lot of plans. So those people have to be careful. The last thing that is somebody that wants to retire early at 55 and access that money, the last thing that they would want to do is roll it into an IRA before looking at that option of 55 and a half. But even if that 401k plan doesn't offer that, you can roll it into an IRA and you can do these things called 72T distributions yep. where you can take the money out tag without paying that 10% penalty for being under 59 and a half. You just have to stick with it for a certain period of time. Um, so there is still ways to access it. And um, a lot of times now, Rob, when people roll over their 401k, they're going to have to Got set up three seconds. accounts. Sounds good. A lot to talk about, a lot to think about. You know, the 72T, the T comes from AT&T, I believe, because a lot of people are forced in retirement early. With that said, come to the big event coming up Thursday, right around the corner. Learn more at New Focus Financial. It's at Los Gatos. Sign up using the code RADIO. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. And streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. Welcome back in. It's one of my favorite days. I got CFP Chad Burton earlier in the show. And now I get the one, the only, briefing.com to come on and talk about the markets. Um, this is a heated time. This is an interesting time, in my opinion. Patrick O'Hare, what say you about the markets? Yeah, hi, Rob. It's nice to be back with you. Um, sure, you know, you're seeing the market uh, obviously react to the uncertainty, the new uncertainty surrounding these trade negotiations. Uh, it was launched over the weekend with uh, President Trump's tweet, but uh, which the market seems to have kind of um, lent some more seriousness to with Representative uh, U.S. Trade Representative Lighthizer's clarification as to, you know, why um, this tariff rate is going to go up to 25% on Friday, and that being the idea that, you know, China's, you know, reneging on some of its prior commitments. Um, so, you know, you had a market that obviously was trading pretty much at its all-time high, um, has had a really hot run, um, not only this year, but off the December 24th low. And so, um, so in one sense, you could say it was prime for a pullback anyway. It was getting a little overheated. But when you throw this into the mix, uh, it creates as good an excuse as any to, uh, to kind of de-risk here a little bit. Is that legit, in your opinion? Because as I was driving in, I was listening to a little Bloomberg radio, and one of the analysts said, you know, there's other countries that have 25% tariffs or even higher on goods from China. So it doesn't seem crazy 
and yet at the same time, we're a huge economy. Are we legit right now, in your opinion, for being fearful about will they or won't they get a deal done this week? Well, you know, you don't want the two of the world's largest economies to be at, you know, at odds like this uh, when it comes to, you know, trade. You know, we want basically lower trade barriers, not not more trade barriers. So, so it's, you know, it's a negative input there. But I think where it becomes legit from the market standpoint is that you've seen this run this year uh, rationalized in large part on two factors. One being the the Fed's dovish-minded pivot, which took place in early January, and two, uh, the expectation that the U.S. and China were going to reach a conclusion on a trade deal that lowers these tariff barriers and removes this element of uncertainty. And because of that, uh, the market was willing to uh, you know ride this multiple expansion and and. Um, uh, and subscribe to it on the basis that you're going to see upward earnings revisions on the back half of the year due to a trade deal getting worked out. So if we now throw this uh, factor into the mix and the, and the specter of a trade deal not getting worked out, you do have a basis to question some of those earnings expectations, which in turn uh, creates some concerns about valuation in here. And so uh, that's why I think you're getting this, you know, just this general broad-based pullback today that uh, that's hitting all sectors and not just the trade-sensitive sectors, uh, being the industrials, materials, and information technology, which are more closely tied into this trade dispute than, than other sectors. Now, Wednesday is a bit of a bridge day into these trade negotiations that may play out Thursday and Friday, but Wednesday we get the big Uber IPO, and we also get the big Uber strike because... The employees are saying, the drivers are saying they're not getting good retirement wages in situations along those lines. What do you think about the Uber IPO? It seems to be coming at a bad time because of a lot of volatility. But that's my opinion, not yours. Well, you know, you're right. I think there, there was a little bit of chatter yesterday. That, you know, I heard that, you know, there was this notion that they might uh, delay it because of the volatility surrounding these, these trade headlines. Now, um, obviously, that's, that's a really big, that was just a rumor, pure speculation. I don't think that that's going to be the case. But, you know, Uber, plenty of hype around it. Um, and the question is, I think, is it going to go off, uh, you know, in a better way than the Lyft IPO did? Um, and, and you just don't know, obviously, when you get into a, a week like this where you have this new element, you know, introduced that kind of gets, you know, the market, you know, in a tizzy of sorts, um, there may be less uh, willingness, you know, to, you know, drive an IPO like that markedly higher, um, you know, in the context of a company that's not, not making any money, you know, a week ago that that seemed to sell a little bit better in terms of the companies that were coming out. But um, but probably, you know, from a broader standpoint, uh, the thing to consider now in terms of, you know, general market view is that you do have a lot of companies that are aiming to go public and which are coming public. And you get into um, uh, the idea that you have this this competitive pressure coming into the into the general market area with new supply, right? Which uh, you know might draw you know capital away from other stocks that uh, have been doing well and uh, and and move into these. Uh, other companies that are coming public with smaller market caps, obviously, that don't have the, the weight to pull the market like some of these other behemoths have. And so, um, you know, the supply factor uh, for the IPO market was a big deal, obviously, uh, that helped contribute to the popping of that dot-com bubble. Um, not saying that that's 
you know, where we're at today. I'm just saying that for a market that's sitting at an all-time high uh, and has gotten somewhat complacent um, uh, in its mindset, um, there's new things entering the mix here that can kind of slow its forward progress, that being IPO supply, the uncertainty surrounding trade, um, uh, uh, two that stand out, and certainly the questions about whether the Fed is going to cut rates uh, before the end of the year. That's fascinating to me. Uh, maybe not to everyone about Fed cutting rates. And I think I said that correctly, incorrectly. I think I said Uber's coming Wednesday, but they're pricing Wednesday. They're coming out on Friday, which is kind of um, interesting to say the least. Um, shifting gears ever so slightly, uh, same topic, different idea. It seems like a lot of analysts are saying Uber and Lyft will never make money. And I know like Uber's got some plans coming out where they may offer like super high interest rates to their employees who bank with them. They've got a lot of tricks up their sleeves that they're going to be announcing in the weeks and months to come. Um, is that a problem for you? Because to me, I don't like the. I know that there's press releases that are going to be coming out in the next couple of months, and I know that people are going to buy into it and go, "Ooh, mm-hmm. that's sexy." Um, and I know the person who's going to lose is the farmer in Iowa who yeah. has no clue what an Uber even is. Yeah. Thoughts well, on IPOs. You know- Right. You know, I think uh, timing matters in a lot of respects here, right? And kind of what's going on around these IPOs. You have a market right now that's underpinned by the persistence of very low interest rates and a uh, Federal Reserve that seems like it, it's not going to raise interest rates anytime soon. Um, you've seen the market come rallying strongly off those December lows. And so there's, you know, a lot of enthusiasm right now for the resilience of the stock market, for the idea that you get this earnings recovery in the back half of the year. And so when you have that going on behind you, you can kind of see a pathway toward a company that doesn't make any money doing quite well. And the reason I'm bringing that up, though, is because, you know, at some point the music stops. Right, uh, interest rates go up, um, stock prices go down for whatever reason, and when you get into an environment like that, a lot of these concept stocks, um, you know, that seem to be doing extremely well, trading at ridiculous multiples to sales because they're not making any money. Um, uh, you know, those are the ones that are going to drop the hardest, and you know, retail investors in particular need to be aware of that. Um, uh, because there's, you know, there is no free lunch here uh, in, in the marketplace, and and they might look pretty good, uh, you know, for a short period of time, but uh, that comes in large part because there's a lot of support from these these other esoteric factors that make things seem a lot better than they are. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, profitability counts, and right now a lot of these companies are riding on the the promise or the potential that they become the next Amazon. And, and you know, really, there's only one Amazon, and uh, it's not easy to duplicate that that model and, and to be as successful as they have been in, in making their business model come to fruition. And so, so that's going to be the challenge, I think, for a lot of these companies, even like Uber, which has, you know, great potential, but um, but it's got to, got to show it can deliver on it in, in the way that Amazon did. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask a personal question. You can decide not to answer. I know you have family members who are kids. Uh, do they Uber? Do they Lyft? Um, because you live in Chicago, great city. I would imagine Uber and Lyft are pretty dominant. At what age did they start ride-sharing, or is that not acceptable yet? 
Right. Well, in in my household, I mean, we're they're, they're not quite at that age yet where we'd be okay. you know popping them into an Uber or a Lyft. But you know, um, I can say from from my standpoint though, I don't you know I don't do a ton of it. Um, you know, okay. we have a great commuter system in Chicago uh, train, and then I do like to walk and ride my bike. So I try to avoid uh, the ride sharing so aspect school. if I can. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy because I've got some Lala friends in L.A. that uh, they put their, like, 10-year-old kids, 12-year-old kids in Ubers to send them to school and pick them up from soccer. I'm like, ooh, off topic. Um, Back to you. Anything that you're working on? We've got about a minute and a half that we need to know. Well, there's there's a, there's so much up in the air right now, obviously, um, and you know this kind of lends itself to a week where uh, for the big picture column where we're rolls back into maybe some general market commentary. Um, you know, like you said, we're going to get the Uber IPO later this week. We're going to get you know a little bit more clarity, hopefully, on, on what's happening with the trade situation, and then we're we're winding down. This is the end of the uh, the first quarter earnings reporting period, and so kind of a lot to take in, and you know, kind of going to. Uh, take a step back here and figure out what the the good angle is and um, maybe provide some general market commentary uh, in the big picture column this week. I look forward to your big picture column. I'm usually off work on Friday when it comes out, and I love it. Um, It's something to read over the weekend, but also your page one comes out every day, Monday through Friday. Also great content to start the day with. Thanks so much for being with us, and thanks for putting up on my silly questions about Uber. Uh, I know a lot of people are thinking about it, and I know briefing.com is going to have a good write-up on the IPO. Um, pre and post. A lot of research going in at uh, briefing.com. Thanks very much. That is the one, the only briefing.com and Patrick O'Hare. Um, seven, every, he's great because I go off script every time. We have no script with him. Chad, there's always a script. Uh, Patrick O'Hare, there's never a script, and he's a great thinker. You can find him at briefing.com. That's briefing.com. I'm Rob Black. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I do my very best to put together content that will help you get to retirement easily or kicking and screaming. You're going to retire at some point in time. Some of us are going to retire a little bit better than others. Um, I try not to do too much like... What I'd almost say is is fluffy material, like 10 reasons you'll regret buying a home with a swimming pool. Look, if you want to buy a home with a swimming pool, if that makes you complete, that's fine. As long as you have a 401k going and you understand the risks. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. I want to drag you kicking and screaming into retirement um, because I know some people who are Uber drivers. Um, a friend of mine is a lawyer in San Francisco, and when it turns 5 o'clock, he punches his clock. He's out. And he turns on his car, and he becomes an Uber driver for a couple hours. Because it's going to take him two or three hours to get home due to the traffic. Why not drive around for an hour and a half, two hours, taking people to destinations, getting a tax write off on his car, things along those lines? You get the idea, right? A lawyer driving for Uber. Now, here's the kick in the pants. And uh, I think this is fair to say. Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, um, part of the gig economy, they're not really helping themselves at times because... It's the instant gratification of a little bit of money in your pocket. Go talk to someone who's driven for Domino's or Papa John's and delivered pizzas. It's wear and tear on your car, and you've got to account for that. Drivers are trying to send a message to Uber by doing a strike um, for a couple hours. And to me, eh, I get it. But I don't think you're going to get livable wages. I don't think you're going to get job security. I don't think you're going to get regulated affairs. I don't think you're going to get retirement options. I don't think you're going to get health care options. 
anytime soon. Uber needs you. Lyft needs you. You're part of their their, their business model. And I'll, I'll assure you, I know management at both companies, and they're not thinking a lot about their employees. They're not thinking a lot about the, the number of gig workers. And I hate that word, gig workers. Gig economy. Um, worker classification is a hot-button issue. You hear Chad Burton, CFP Chad Burton, say all the time, you know, if you work for four, uh, if you work for Facebook, Amazon, blah blah blah. But he also says if you're an independent contractor, and independent contractors they have to pay a little bit more taxes, which is kind of goofy. Um, so you're not entitled to health insurance. You have to pay more in Social Security taxes because the way Social Security taxes work, your company pays part of them, and you pay the other part of it. But if you're an independent contractor, guess who pays it all? So you really got to think about some of these issues before you get into them. I got no problem with people earning a little extra money, but I assure you my attorney friend is setting up his retirement through his attorney job versus through his gig job. And uh, I get it. I get it. So that's going to be a big issue on whether down the road Uber drivers become W-2 employees or independent contractors where they have to do their own taxes. Big story out there. Another big story out there is millennials and Generation Z. They've lived through two major stock market corrections, a couple recessions, including the big one. And a lot of them are, are, are reluctant to invest. And I'm trying to get them to take the leap into investing. I signed up for Acorns because it's cute and it's stupid. And to me, it's something I could say to a, a niece or a nephew or a cousin who uh, may not be saving. Acorns is an app. And what they do is they take your purchases on your debit card or credit card and they round it up. And then they invest that for you. And the investment choices are in pretty robust ETFs. So there's not going to be a lot of fees. There's not going to be a lot of commissions. In fact, there's almost none. Now, is that going to get you on the road to riches? It's not going to get you to riches, but it's going to get you on the road to riches. And when you're in your 20s, it's dizzying. It's confusing. You try to do things that you shouldn't at work. You get fired. You try to network, and you're like, oh, everyone just wants me, and I, no, one, no, you know, no one's willing to come to me and help me. So investing is not for rich people. It's for young people. You have time on your side, and you don't have to be Warren Buffett. You could use an app like Acorns. I'm going to do some more apps like Stash and Robinhood, and I'll give you my opinion on them. Acorns isn't bad. It's incredibly inane, which is, is perfect. Because it allows the teenage kid and or the millennial who's 20-something to go out and make dumb choices. Play uh, play Battle Royale Fortnite all day long. Maybe you marry incorrectly, you know? I met her playing Battle Royale, and we did a one-on-one duos, and we finished first. I get it. I get it. You make mistakes in your 20s. I did, too. Um, with an app like Robinhood, it allows you to buy stocks in real time. And, like, you could be ordering a Coca-Cola at a restaurant and go, that's $2.50 for 12 ounces of this syrup? And trust me, the syrup is the money, right? Because the rest of it is uh, El Cheapo to put together. I I like the idea of getting in and learning when you're a millennial or a Generation Z. I like it a lot because when you make mistakes, you kind of learn from them. Um, Biggest mistake I made in my 20s was... um, you know, money doesn't lead to love. It helps, but it doesn't lead to love. A good person leads to love. A good heart leads to love. And then you get to start doing great things like touring the world together and going on sailing adventures and making babies. With that said, you got to start young and you got to make mistakes. 
And, uh, you know, my favorite, not, not my favorite meme, because uh, it's not really a meme. It's kind of a, 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 something I believe in is sometimes you take a pie in the face and sometimes you're hip deep in pie. I love pie. And I think that's the best lesson for, for millennials and, and uh, Generation Z. You got to get started sooner than later. Starbucks has become ubiqu- ubiquitous with um, coffee, right? When you think Starbucks, you think coffee. Did you know Daenerys Targaryen had a cup of coffee within reach on the show? And it was a major, major gaff, guffaw. Um, but big win for Starbucks. They got to be part of the social conversation the day after Sunday's premiere of episode four. So two more episodes left of Game of Thrones. And then a lot of people are going to cancel HBO, I think. We'll see. Watch AT&T. Stop, not, yeah, AT&T. They own Time Warner. Time Warner owns HBO. Oh, the, we- the webs we weave. I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.